Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the eighth podcast of Follow the Sun. I'm with Marian Mente, who wrote the book, which presents the sequence of the Zodiac as a story. Hello, Marian. Hi, Pommy. So later on in the podcast, as usual, we hear you reading this chapter where Aries discovers Scorpio. Now, we learned a little bit about Scorpio in the last chapter. So can you tell us a bit more about Scorpio's characteristics and her part in mining the labyrinth? Yeah. Well, Scorpio's symbol is obviously the scorpion. And like Aries, it's a domain of Mars and later of Pluto. That's the planet associated with elimination and transformation, volcanic eruption and power and with great wealth. You've heard of Plutonian wealth, I hope. The energy of Scorpio is yin. It's feminine and its element is water. The eighth sign, it begins mid-October to mid-November. And coming after Libra, a cardinal sign, it's fixed in quality. It's associated with transformation through relationship, the death of one state and rebirth into another, for instance, like the passing or death of a woman's virginity into pregnancy and birth of a child. Uh, It's physically associated with the reproductive organs and the colon, and that's why Scorpio is generally associated with sex. It's also in-depth research, psychology, detection, mining, occultism. All those things dark and deep. And when expressed positively, the spirit of Scorpio is deeply sensitive, intense, passionate, concentrative, determined, cautious and yet courageous. But when negative, it can be secretive and manipulative, jealous, vengeful and unforgiving. It's the polar opposite of Venus rule Taurus. And because of its association with the regenerative organs, the secret areas of the body, I thought to have Scorpio's realm to include a labyrinth, I think it's appropriate because ovary is a sort of labyrinthine in a way. And, and the description of the entrance to her domain are meant to suggest the male and female genitalia. As we heard in the last chapter, the gems are forged in the labyrinth where they are scorched by the flames of the transforming fire. I thought this was a good analogy to explain conception, you know, ovum ignited by the fire of passion, as it were. And these fire-bright gems are brought to the surface to give light back to the sun in the same way that once we are born and conscious, we recognise the value of the sun's life force and so sustain life. If we cease to reproduce, life would die out. I think there have been novels written to speculate on the subject of new new future Mm. generations. Yes, so we're going to hear Scorpio in a minute. But so far, what's happened? Aries has travelled halfway around his world. He's met Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo and Libra, where Aries encountered opposition in the matter of why he's left his realm in the first place. Because, of course, due to disruptions in communications... All were unaware of the earthquake in Aries' realm until he told them about it. And to further muddy the waters, Libra is concerned about what part, if any, Aries has played in the mysterious event of Scorpio's serpent and its attack in the grove. Aries is equally mystified because he hasn't even met Scorpio yet. Nor are Virgo and Libra aware that Aries is unknowingly carrying the black pearl. Scorpio's kept that information from the collective at this time. 
Libra was taking Aries to Scorpio to gain an explanation for Serpentis' seeming attack, but the Shrike causes Libra to doubt Aries, and in a fury at the injustice, Aries takes off on his own, determined to confront Scorpio himself. Revelations. With a clear memory of the route from Libra sketch, Ares found the track which climbed through the pine woods to the canyons. The terrain was inhospitable and swirling draughts whipped grit around his legs. Once or twice he had slipped and almost fallen, but he made no mistakes in the route and his fury had lent him speed. The Shrike flew ahead trying to flag him down, but he set his horns against it. No way would he speak with that creature again. It could now only follow on his heels and hope a chance would come, its mind racing to form another plan, a trick to win the ram's confidence before it was too late. A thin crescent moon gave little light when Ares eventually entered the box canyon which held the entrance to Scorpio's cave. The formations in the walls of the rock were convoluted with deep folds and creases. The mouth of the cave was set a little way up the rock face at the rear of the canyon and in front of the opening was a wide ledge upon which stood a tall column of granite. This was the eagle's perch, her lookout post from where she viewed the approaches to the canyon. Tonight it was vacant. Running up the steep steps to the ledge, he could see a flickering glow from the entrance of the cave. Dismissing his apprehensions, he entered the long, low tunnel, running its length to emerge into Scorpio's chamber. The atmosphere was warm and welcoming, not at all what he'd expected, though he wasn't sure what he had expected. He looked about, but there was no one to be seen or heard. The Shrike hovered outside, furious. Here it dared not enter. If Scorpio succeeded in obtaining the pearl, then its only recourse was to blackmail her. The secrecy about Eagle's meeting with the Gemini was highly suspect after all. And the collective didn't keep secrets from each other, did they? No. Everything must be debated and agreed. But that didn't happen on this occasion, did it? No. Then blackmail it is. Feeling a little less despairing about outcomes, the Shrike decided to hide nearby and do what it does best. Hatch nasty schemes. The chamber was higher and more spacious than Ares' first impression. Hot coals glowed, cradled within the latticed frame of an iron brazier standing in the centre. Vaporous wisps curled from the ashes, suffusing the air with a sweet, musky aroma, and soft velvet cushions were piled in a wide circle around the fire. Tall candles stood in groups amid the stalagmites around the floor, their soft golden glow coalescing with the rosy warmth. Stalactites were clustered around the edges of the cavern roof, casting eerie shadows to haunt the darkened, misshapen corners. His attention was caught by large tapestries which adorned the walls. He counted twelve of these, all finely embroidered with gold and silver thread, Each had a different gemstone embedded on its hem, and he scanned the motifs on the tapestries, fascinated by the pictures and strange symbols they depicted. 
He recognised the likenesses of those sovereigns he had met so far, but was quite shocked to see a tapestry depicting himself as a sovereign, stood on a hill which was carpeted in heather and broom. This was not the crater he had known. Can it be true, he wondered? Why couldn't he remember it or feel it? Why didn't he want to own the realm? The various birds and plants he'd seen in the realms he traversed so far were also skillfully embroidered on each tapestry, along with the sun set against differing backgrounds of star constellations and the moon in its various phases of reflected light. Similar imagery was depicted on his tapestry. The moon was a thin crescent, though the sun was in its full noon glory. No! It can't be. I don't have a realm. There is only me. He prevented himself from pursuing the thought and looked for the tapestry which depicted Scorpio. He thought he could tell, but wasn't sure, for he didn't know enough about the other sovereigns he hadn't yet met. Which one was Sagittarius, Capricorn or Aquarius? And what about the Pisces? Libra had said he wouldn't confuse him with the Pisces. But Ares was as confused and depressed as he had felt in the crater. Frustrated by his ignorance about himself and all he did not know, he felt small, defensive and angry. I hate these pompous, self-righteous, supercilious sovereigns of the West, he railed. He wanted to find Scorpio this instant and demand an explanation for her attack on him. He ran from the chamber more angry than he had been in the whole of his memory. Passing under an arch, he came to a second, much smaller chamber, lit by a flaming brand anchored to the far wall. He could see several caskets stacked against the walls, some wrought in gold, others in silver and copper, all with ornately inscribed lids filled to their velvet-lined brims with sparkling stones of various sizes and colours. But sight of these riches didn't interest him beyond reminding him of Cancer's Cave of Treasures. Confronted by two further openings, he sped headlong into the one on the right, giving vent to his rage by his breakneck pace, shouting and challenging Scorpio to appear. The lighted brands became fewer as he ran through the maze of low-ceiling passages and were set at greater distances apart. But worse, the brands behind him began to flicker and die. The darkness of the labyrinth slowly crept around him. He stopped running, breathless and in the dark. There was no sign of Scorpio. He turned to make his way back. Too late. He tried to retrace his steps, thinking he'd gone wrong somewhere and could put himself right. But there was no light and the passages seemed to lead nowhere but down. Each time he turned, sure he was on an incline, the way twisted on itself and became a decline. He could see nothing as the blackness deepened and heard only the pounding of his heart and the sound of his breath in the suffocating silence. He tried to deny the fear that gripped him. Have I really lost my way? At what turn did I make a mistake? During the ensuing hours of groping along twisting passages, blind alleys that led nowhere, he fell into despair. For the first time in his memory, Ares doubted his invincibility. He started to believe he was going to waste and perish in this hellish place. Despondent and exhausted, he dropped to his knees and drifted into semi-consciousness. In a dreamlike state, his thoughts wandered to long ago yesterday and his journey across the moorlands. 
wistful feelings like those he'd experienced in Kansas Pool now stirred within him again as he recalled his vision after the earthquake. He didn't fight these feelings now. Instead, he held on to their fragile thread. As the thread unwound, it unravelled visions and memories, once trapped in the web of his mind. The scene behind the hills became clearer. He was running through the glens of his homeland, laughing and racing with other young rams. No dreadful storms, no cloying, freezing mists, just morning sunshine over the gaily coloured wildflowers. Images floated before him, youngsters dancing and playing, grown rams jousting, competing for glory, honour and affection. The long marches across the realm, his realm, with its heaths and streams, the clan. Then came the storms and dreadful mists, his steel determination to explore, to find new horizons. There's nothing out there, many had protested, refusing to follow him. The hills are impassable, full of craters and chasms. We will all perish and never return. This is your realm. You must stay and protect it. But he'd been headstrong and selfish in his ambition. The weather had been dreadful for too long and he'd yearned for better climes. I will go alone, he declared. He had refused to listen to their warnings. Did not care what they thought. Had been intent only on his own way. He remembered the bleating pleas for him to stay. Their anger, fear and sadness on his abrupt leaving. Then amidst the awful weather came the dreadful solitude of the crater. He'd fallen yet had survived, but all memory of his life before had been driven to the recesses of his mind until they surfaced here in the labyrinth of Scorpio. He now recalled the destruction of the earthquake. Ironically, it had saved him, but what of his clan? He hadn't been there when they'd needed him. How many had perished in that disaster? Dreads invaded his mind, flooding his senses. Anger, guilt, Grief, a sickening ache in his stomach welled into his breast with a sharp, punishing pain. His throat constricted as he tried to scream, to cast his anguish into the abysmal blackness. Why didn't I listen? What good has come for them, my exploring? What good has come to me? Hot tears stung his eyes and Ares wept. He was alone, helpless and heartbroken. He fell into a nightmarish sleep and on coming to had lost all sense of time. Hunger gnawed at his stomach and his throat was parched. Then a glimmer of light flickered through the tunnels. He thought he was imagining it, but no, he could see the walls were speckled here and there with gems. At first they were just one or two very bright ones, but their light lifted the darkness and reflected against other glintering splinters in the rock. He remembered what Libra had told him about the fire-bright gems, that Scorpio would come to mind them for the celebration. I will survive. I'll search for my clan. The collective will help. He will make them believe in him despite Scorpio's attack on him and that nasty old liar-bird. Liar-bird? Of course! The Gemini and their tale about the Shrike. The lyrebird with its dreadful lisp. So it had survived. He felt sure this must be one and the same creature. 
But how come it was in the groove? And why had it wanted to discredit him? No matter, the twins would tell the collective about the Shrike and its lies and clear his name. Hope had returned, and with it, his will to survive. Light in the tunnel swiftly lifted, and the heat became intense. Without warning came a rushing, roaring sound, and to his terror, a tongue of flame soared up the passage towards him. He had barely a split second to dodge into an adjacent tunnel before being scorched to a cinder. His heart raced. He had to find another way out. In his mixture of fear and relief, he didn't realise that he'd been seared from tail to horns, but then the pain set in. His nostrils filled with the pungent stench of his burned fleece and singed flesh. Forced onto his knees, he rolled in agony, tumbling down the helter-skelter shaft of the tunnel. With all his failing might, he tried to halt his descent towards the blinding light. His mind screamed without sound as he hurtled towards the transforming fire. Gains and Losses Libra's dove had returned to the villa shortly after the ram's angry departure. She'd seen him running towards Scorpio's canyon, but didn't question it, being in a great hurry herself. She had exciting news from the eagle about Ares and the missing pearl, and felt he would be welcomed on his arrival in Scorpio's chambers. The Shrike had spotted Dove's white form approaching and had quickly hidden until she'd passed, furious that Ares was gaining distance. Libra was overjoyed to hear Dove's report from the eagle. Though eager to hear a full account of this intrigue and the incident involving Leo, he decided there was no longer a need for great urgency so he could enjoy a full night's rest. He set off for Scorpio's realm after a leisurely breakfast, intending to arrive by early evening. In buoyant spirits, he was pleased that all seemed to be turning out well. As soon as he entered the canyon, the eagle left her perch to alert Scorpio. Libra could discern Ares' footprints leading up to the entrance and was glad of the reassurance that he'd arrived. But as he strolled into the main chamber, he felt a chill in the air. The coals in the brazier had burned low. Though Scorpio was not there to greet him, he was unconcerned that anything was amiss, surmising that she was at rest while Ares too was catching up on his sleep. He must have arrived at some unthinkable hour, he thought, busily replacing a few spent candles. As he returned with fuel for the brazier, the eagle appeared, clutching a hamper of refreshments. Eat, please. She will be with you soon. And saying no more, returned to her post. Eagle spoke rarely, using a minimum of words, preferring always to observe. The fire was soon restored, and Libra settled himself on the cushions. He was engrossed in the contents of the hamper when Scorpio silently emerged from the shadows. Though small, her stature was imposing. A cloak of ruby velvet trimmed with snakeskin covered her from neck to ankles, exposing only her sting. This curled up from behind, its point poised over her head of dark burgundy hair. Coal-black eyes peered intensely from beneath winged brows, giving her a sinister air as she approached her unsuspecting visitor. Snakes, she declared. Libra leapt into the air with fright. Whoops, I mean snacks, and both collapsed into laughter as they plundered the hamper for a savoury treat. 
Oh, forgive me. I didn't mean to startle you. Mmm, something nice and spicy for me. Scorpio liked her snacks to be fiery. I'm ravenous. It's been a long night. I suppose he's sleeping it off. Libra was referring to Aries. Oh, indeed. Sleep is the best thing for him now, she responded, but thought he was referring to Serpentus, who had had a terrible night. She'd been assisting her serpent with the shedding of his skin, made difficult because of his wounds. Knowing Libra intended to discuss the incident with Leo, she came directly to the point, her defence ready. I'm relieved to hear Leo is recovering well from his accident, and I'm deeply indebted to Virgo for her swift action and expertise. Leo's accident? Libra bristled. If I'm any judge, the accident was all yours, Scorpio. I did what had to be done with little time to act, she said smartly, refusing to be put on the defensive. You acted independently with disastrous results. If there was no time to call a full meeting of the collective, you should at least have consulted myself or Sagittarius about your plans. He glared at her, willing her to apologise. Her sting quivered in anger. You would have vacillated wasting valuable time, and Sagittarius, as usual, was nowhere to be found. It was a scathing retort. Libra fumed at this injustice. Somehow it was always the other fellow's fault in any dispute with her. Attack was Scorpio's means of defence, and it would invariably win her the point. She and Ares had much in common in this regard. Vacillated? He was resolute. You can't battle your way out of this one. For your information, the instant I spotted Eagle flying past with Serpentus, I set off for the farm. The truth is, you should have instructed them to inform me of what you had in mind. She pulled back a little. In different circumstances, I might concede that you're right. But on that night, at that hour, decisive action was needed, not discussion. Checkmate! He'd found the flaw in her argument. You actively avoided discussion because your mind was set. You and you alone had decided what was right, leaving others to sort out the consequences. So determined were you that you had absolutely no intention of sharing your intelligence. She was seething and needed to recover ground. I've told you there was little time, and circumstances dictated that I be as discreet as possible. Remember, you don't know as much as I do about the matter. A barb to wound his vanity. She still had the upper hand. Libra stood, his mood black. Oh, damn your petty power games, he thundered, and stepped away. He needed to calm down, be rational, diplomatic, or he would lose her contrition. Scorpio, I have no doubt that you felt you were acting in the best interests of discretion and expediency. However, that is a separate issue from the point made that you didn't alert anyone about the plan you are carrying out and the risks involved, or that someone might be called upon for help. As you say yourself, you are deeply indebted to Virgo for saving Leo's life. I had covered the event of an accident. She wasn't giving way. Eagle had instructions to alert Virgo immediately should anything go wrong, as indeed she did. There shouldn't have been any accident. And as I've said... It would have been far better had Virgo been forewarned that her services might be called upon, or at the very least given some clue about your part in the situation at the time Eagle did call on her. That she responded so readily and efficiently as to her credit alone. Nor must it be overlooked that Virgo put herself at risk in venturing beyond her boundaries on such a foul night. Anything could have happened. More accidents. And time really was of the essence. 
If she had been just minutes later, Leo would not be alive today. Libra had spoken fairly, if in strong tones. Scorpio lowered her gaze and stared into the fire, her thoughts running over what had been said. From her point of view, if she hadn't taken the initiative that night, the pearl could have fallen into the wrong hands. Indeed, they still did not have actual possession of it. However, if things had gone to plan, then she could have presented the collective with a fait accompli. Power games? Painful as it was, she recognised this element in her nature. Loath as she was to admit it, Libra may have cause for his displeasure with her on this occasion. Her eyes welled, but she fought back the tears. I accept your point in hindsight, she whispered. Oh, thank you, said Libra. I'll accept that as your apology. Oh, very well. But you must understand that everything was of great urgency that night. You know the pearl has to be retrieved before the 13th moon wanes, or it will be too late. Eagle returned late in the day with news from cancer that Ares unknowingly carries the pearl about his neck. She relayed what Eagle had learned. It's almost certain that it had been stolen by the Shrike, responsible for the chaos in our communications. A vain and greedy creature who no doubt sought to hold us all to ransom for return of the pearl. Oh, thankfully it was killed in that storm, but not without leaving a wake of trouble behind it. She slumped into the cushions and stressed and contrite. Go on, prompted Libra, sitting again. When Eagle said the ram had reached the edge of the cornfields, I had to act quickly. It was the eve of harvesting. Birds were flocking there from all regions. Who knows how many misguided accomplices the Shrike had retained amongst their numbers. Communications are still chaotic, are they not? How much was known about the pearl and the consequences of it not being found in time? How much has been learned or guessed about its whereabouts? Was a trap being laid for Ares? There was no time for discussion. The pearl had to be retrieved that night and in secret to avoid any protests from Ares or Leo and the risk of causing further trouble. Serpentus was to quietly lift it from his throat and bring it here. She smoothed the folds in her cloak, the jewelled rings on her fingers reflecting the glow of the coals. It was not your plan, but your lack in consulting me about it in any degree that is at fault, reminded Libra. However, all's well because Ares is here and the pearl is at last safe. Just as I suspected, she smirked with a hint of sarcasm, you wanted an explanation before introducing him, didn't you? No doubt the incident with Leo has made him wary of me, but you can safely bring him in now. I'm dying to meet him. Bring him in? But he arrived last night, or rather during the early hours of this morning. He's already here. Libra grew concerned. Here? Her surprise was sincere. He must be hiding then. Rising, she looked expectantly towards the shadows around the room. But you said he was sleeping. That sleep is the best thing for him now. A note of alarm crept into his voice. Sleeping? No, not Ares. I thought you meant Serpentus. I've just come from nursing him. But he must be here somewhere. His tracks lead up to the entrance. She called for her eagle and questioned if there were any sign of Ares in the canyon. But no. Check if there are any tracks leaving. I'll raise Serpentus. He'll detect the ram's scent if he's entered here. Hurrying through the arch into the left-hand tunnel, which led to her private quarters, within minutes she returned with Serpentus, draped around her shoulders, 
looking extremely poorly and limp. She lifted him gently to the floor. Oh, just look at him. That Leo was terribly ferocious, she sparked crossly. Libra made no comment, remembering how Leo had fallen. Noble Leo, he thought. The lion may be courageous and strong, but the eagle and snake are more formidable adversaries. Serpentus had difficulty moving over the ground, but detected traces of airy scent by the arch. Then his long, sinuous body moved into the tunnel on the right. <gasps> no! They were horrified, realising the path Ares had taken. No, Serpentus, I will go, cried Scorpio, and gathering him up, she returned him to his nest. He was in no condition to enter the labyrinth. Oh, is there anything, anything I can do to help? Libra knew that beyond this point, he was helpless. Only she or Serpentus could enter the labyrinth and hope to survive. He could only hamper her search, so must wait in the main chamber until she returned. Taking a good supply of water, Scorpio began her descent. Libra sank onto the cushions and buried his face in his hands. Oh, chaos is surely upon us, he groaned. He knew that with every passing hour, the chances of finding Ares alive were diminishing. On the second day of Scorpio's search, Libra was feeling cooped up and very restless, waiting for her return. He needed a change of air and decided to take a walk through the canyons, which provided the stone and marble he used for sculpting then perhaps go on as far as the plateau. Walking this rocky terrain would take his mind off things a while. The weather had turned bitter, and by the time he'd reached as far as the plateau, sleet was starting to fall. Now, in Sagittarius's domain, he made his way to the centre's log cabin for shelter. As he entered the long, ranch-style cabin, he held half a hope that Sagittarius was home, but was duly disappointed. Scorpio is right about him never being around, he mumbled, feeling very disgruntled. Nothing would please him more than to see his jovial friend's broad smile and casual expression. Sagittarius spent the greatest part of his time outdoors, and in contrast to Libra, he paid little heed to his appearance, which was invariably informal and often windswept. Being an eternal optimist, Sag had a way of riding over adversity and seeing beyond the instant believing all would come right in the end. During these troubled times, the centre's views had helped Libra to gain a balanced perspective of events which otherwise would have given rise to pessimism. He now felt the need of Sage's wisdoms more than ever. Lighting the logs in the stone-built fireplace, he hung the kettle on the iron hook above the flames to boil for a brew, then helped himself to an assortment of nuts and dried fruit to keep hunger at bay. He liked the feel of the long cabin with its smell of pine wood. It was spacious yet homely, with untidy bits of clutter strewn here and there. A collection of different sized bows and arrows were hung on the walls, together with intriguing maps of the night skies as well as of the mountain and surrounding territories. He wondered where Sage might be and entertained the idea of asking Eagle to search him out, but he knew better. 
Eagle would follow no one's instructions but Scorpio's, and Scorpio was too stubborn to accede to a search for Sagittarius, especially when, with their troubles about the fire and the pearl, she believed he should stay closer to home. Clasping a steaming mug of tea, he stepped out onto the porch where Sag kept a telescope fixed to a stand. The telescope was another of Aquarius' innovations, a byproduct of the glass experiment. Peering through its lens, he spotted the shrike in the branches of a nearby tree. It had been loitering around the canyons, careful to keep out of the sight of the eagle, although, fortunately for the shrike, the eagle had not yet heard the song composed by the Gemini, so was unaware the shrike was still alive and seeking Ares. Curious about what was going on inside Scorpio's realm, it had followed Libra, intending to gaze news about Ares, thus the pearl. Seizing the opportunity to speak with him, it flew onto the perch. Oh, fancy finding you here. I might say the same to you. Libra was beginning to have his suspicions about this creature. It seemed to be dogging him. Perhaps Ares had been right about mistrusting this old bird. But I live around here, lied the shrike. It sounded plausible. Libra asked if it had seen Sagittarius recently. Shaking its head, the shrike quickly turned the conversation to its own ends. Uh, did our hot-headed friend find his way to Scorpio, by the way? Trying to sign casual. Unfortunately, he's found his way into the labyrinth. His deep concern for Ares was mixed with anger at the ram for causing such concern, and his tone betrayed that. Scorpio is searching for him now, but I fear the worst. The Shrike was generally alarmed. It must find out if the pearl had been discovered. Oh, what dreadful news! What happened? Did he and Scorpio quarrel? Libra moved back inside the cabin. He wanted no more to do with this creature. He and Scorpio never met, he scowled, and slammed the door closed behind him. The Shrike was in a fury as it flew back to the trees, wailing and shrieking. Oh, my pearl is gone, gone. Curse, 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 curse that reckless wham. I hope he burns, burns, burns. It found the remains of an old nest in one of the nearby pines and took refuge there. Its mind was set on gaining a realm for itself, but with the pearl lost, its plans were in jeopardy. It sat seething, scheming to find an alternative way to succeed in its wicked ambitions. Libra sat at the large round table and wrote Sagittarius a letter giving full explanation of all that had happened, urging him to get to Scorpio's realm. He was taking the optimistic view that Sag's return home was imminent. Dousing the fire, he donned one of the deerskin hats from the pegs on the wall and left the cabin. It was growing dark, and the sleet was turning to snow. Eagle was inside the chamber waiting for him. Scorpio was still in the labyrinth. After a lacklustre meal of cold snacks, he strolled past Scorpio's bedchamber to the cavern of hot springs. Several circular pools bubbled and foamed with waters rich in minerals, and he gratefully immersed himself in the soothing heat. Three nights had passed since Scorpio had entered the labyrinth and on her resurface she sadly informed him that no trace of Ares had been found. After I've rested, Serpentus and I will make a white as such. That naive ram has ventured into uncharted tunnels and I can't go there alone. Stressed and fatigued, she paced in slow circles around the brazier. Libra stood calm and still as he listened to her report. 
It's almost four nights since he disappeared, and I fear for his fate. If nothing else, I can return his remains to the surface. Libra, you have a choice. You are welcome to stay, but you may prefer to return home and await news as to the outcome of the next search, after which there must be a full council to decide what is to be done. I am not hopeful that Ares will be found alive. He has already been too long without water, but if we find him, alive or not, we will also find the pearl. At least some good will have come of all this. We can then turn our attention to the transforming fire and the cause of its diminishing. She fixed him with a long, steady gaze, then lowered her eyes. If we find no trace of Ares, then the pearl will also be lost. More deaths will swiftly follow. Despite her inner strength, Scorpio began to weep, unable now to control her emotions. I will return home to collect what I need and quickly return. I'll work while I wait here, replied Libra incisively. I wish to sculpt a perfect effigy of Ares from the purest black marble. No flaws. In the labyrinth. Ares spilled out of the tunnel onto a wide ledge. For a few moments he lay splayed on his front, eyes shut tight, not daring to believe he was still alive. Steam billowed up from the pit of flames, and though dazed and in pain, he was aware of lying midstream a fast flow of water. He slowly inched forward, feeling his way, sure he would be blinded if he opened his eyes more than a squint. The moisture from the steam and the water flowing under his belly offered some protections from the searing heat, though his flesh was badly scalded. Keeping close to the rock wall, he sensed the ledge was widening away from the burning pit of fire. He tried to sip the hot water, but it was salty, acrid. Barely managing to rise to his feet, he moved with extreme caution, not daring to brush against the heat-cracked walls for fear of further burns. Progress was painfully slow. Creeping forward, he could gradually feel the flow of the water begin to quicken until he was wading against a knee-high torrent, which was becoming perceptibly cooler. Daring to open his eyes a little wider, he saw a waterfall gushing from the wide fissure in the rock. He passed under the fall, its tepid saline waters spilling over him, easing his burns. The relief gave him strength enough to climb further into the fissure, away from the heat and the glare, up onto a flat surface rock. He passed out again, half submerged in the flow. When he recovered consciousness, he was stiff and weak, badly in need of both food and water. But he could see no food, and the water was salty, undrinkable. He struggled to climb further up the incline of the fissure, which twisted at its neck and widened into a high underground cavern. Filling the floor of the cavern was a lake of swift-running water, feeding the waterfall into the pit. He had no choice but to swim to reach another waterfall that tumbled into the lake from the rock wall opposite. He knew that water had to be getting in from the outside of the mountain. He felt certain that if he could find the source of these falls, he would find daylight. 
Carefully, he submerged his bruised and burned body into the lake, keeping close to the edges to avoid the main thrust of the current against him. Feeling so weakened, he was glad of the sensation of weightlessness, and as his limbs gently propelled him, a strange tingling began to pulse through him, lending him strength, as though some kind of magnetism was also drawing him through the water. He managed a weak laugh at the irony. In these detestable circumstances, he was actually enjoying swimming. Though safely away from the fire, its heat and light still reflected off the moist rock walls. He could see comfortably and had little difficulty reaching the second waterfall. He swam amidst it and peered up at its course. The constant action of the tumbling water had eroded a natural stairwell in the rocks. It flowed, not gushed, allowing him to wade up alongside the watercourse with relative ease. To his surprise, this water was not salty, and he was able to drink. Mushrooms sprouted from cracks in the walls, so hungry was ready to eat anything as he dined on these. The properties of this meagre fare, together with the fresh water, sustained his flesh and his hopes. As he climbed higher, the glow of the fire dimmed and the encroaching darkness steadily deepened until again all was pitch black, as in the labyrinth. Moving in a trance-like state, he frequently fell into dream-filled sleeps. Images of all the realms and the friends he'd made kept his spirit going. The days elapsed and the pain of his burns was dulling. A cool draught began to freshen the air, and though still deep inside the mountain, he guessed he'd reached above where the entrance to the labyrinth had been. Over time he could feel the draught quicken, and the steady stream of the water had become ice-cold, numbing his limbs. Gradually light began to filter into the rocky stairwell, gently releasing his eyes from their imposed blindness. Just a little way ahead he could see that the source of the light was from a narrow aperture which veered off at a right angle from the gully. He'd been right about the waterfall leading him to daylight. This gave him the much-needed boost of energy and hope to carry on. With great effort, he managed to get himself up onto the ledge to look inside the opening. It was a long tunnel, low and wide, at the end of which was a slit of daylight. Weakened and badly injured, it was solely the prospect of freedom that kept him scrabbling forward, negotiating treacherous pitfalls that swallowed tracks of the tunnel's floor. As he neared its end, he thought he could smell wood smoke, mingled with an appetising aroma of food. Then he heard the sound of someone speaking. His spirits lifted and he wept with relief. He was no longer alone. The narrow opening was close to the high roof of a cave, and Ares was able to squeeze his head through the gap to see and savour the scene below. That was Marian Mente reading the eighth chapter of Follow the Sun. Now, Marian, that was all about Scorpio, and there was so much happening in this chapter of the Ram's journey. What I want to ask you is about why Scorpio is represented by an eagle and a serpent. You have both of those. Yes, well, it goes back to some of the ancient myths about Scorpio. But I think that, it, for me, it, um, 
best describes the Scorpio nature of her, the eagle being her eyes and ears abroad, and the serpent being her her navigator, if you like, in the, in the labyrinth. And I suppose, you know, there are sort of sexual connotations to that, but... I felt the two of them were perfect together and somewhere in the depths of my own mind I know that both the eagle and the serpent have been associated with the sign of Scorpio because of course it is a very deep area of life you know, regeneration, reproduction, that sort of thing Um, so that's why the two of them are there as her agents Ah, okay and uh, I'm looking forward to the next podcast because this is where Aries meets Sagittarius and Sagittarius is the third fire sign and we're going to be talking about philosophy, are we not? Well, yes, I've, I've called Sagittarius the wandering philosopher. Ah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Marion. Thanks, Pommy. You've been listening to the eighth podcast in the series Follow the Sun. Look out for our next one where Marion will take us into the ninth sign of Sagittarius. This is a story based on the sequence of the zodiac, so make sure you don't miss out by subscribing through your favourite podcast provider. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pomi Harmer, and this was a Black Pearl production. Mm-hmm.